Hello. Thank you for tuning in to the Nomberg Law Live podcast. Each week, I try to bring interesting conversations with people from different walks of life and areas of expertise. In this particular episode, I have a wonderful conversation with Rabbi Brian Glessman of the Marcus Jewish Community Center in Atlanta. Rabbi Glessman used to be at Temple Bethel in Birmingham, and I've known the rabbi for many, many years, having also traveled to Israel with him. And we have a great discussion. We reminisce a little bit. We talk about the current status of how people see religion these days, particularly Judaism. And we talk about so many other great things. And we think that you guys will find this to be a, a most interesting and fun conversation. Thank you again for your interest in the Nomberg Law Live podcast. If you like this episode, please consider giving us a five-star rating and a review and subscribing will ensure that you get each podcast as they come out on a weekly basis. Thank you again. All right, I think we are now live. Good morning, everybody. It's Bernard Nomberg with another weekly episode of Nomberg Law Live, and I'm so very pleased that I've got my dear friend, Rabbi Brian Glessman, with me this morning. Good morning, Brian. How are you? Good morning, Bernard. Always good to see you, my dear friend. Well, thank you for, for making some time to be with us this morning. I'm looking forward to our, our conversation. Um, guys, as we try to do on Nomberg Law Live, try to bring you interesting people in their areas of expertise. And today is certainly no no deviation from that. And I've been looking forward to our conversation with Rabbi Glessman for quite a while. And for those of you who don't know Rabbi Glessman, he was at, at one point he was in Birmingham for how many years, Brian? I feel like it might've been eight or nine. That, and that was almost a decade ago. And most recently, I know you've been in Atlanta with the Marcus Jewish Community Center of Atlanta. And if you would, just tell the folks a little bit about what you do at the Marcus JCC and a little bit about your background. Sure. Um, I come from the pulpit rabbinic world. For those that are not Jewish that might be watching, um, a rabbi is similar to a reverend and a minister at a church. Um, so I was the rabbi of several synagogues before ending up in Birmingham. But Birmingham for me and for my family was just a sweet spot in our history. We just, we love Birmingham, love the community and made some very, very dear friends. But for me, you know, I'm a Southern boy. So, so being in the South, I was born in Huntsville and my mother was born in Birmingham. So being in Birmingham uh, was very special and, and dear and meaningful for me and the family. But after being the rabbi at Temple Bethel in Birmingham, uh, we ended up in Atlanta and really had no interest. Uh, I had no interest in being a pulpit rabbi, a synagogue rabbi anymore. I felt like been there, done that. It was a lot of fun, but I was ready to move on, just ready for a change in my own life, in my own career. So um, we got involved in Atlanta, the Jewish Community Center, and the Jewish Community Center is similar to a YMCA, but primarily, although open to the entire community, really serves the Jewish community in particular. However, uh, many non-Jews participate in Jewish community center events and activities and fitness. Um, but we got involved just as, as lay people, just using the facilities, enjoying it here. And while I was here, someone asked if I'd be interested in teaching a class at the JCC. 
and I really wasn't interested in teaching a class. Uh, I was no longer interested in, in engaging with the Jewish community that way. I wanted it to be more casual. But I said to the staff at the JCC, thanks for the invitation, but looking at the JCC and the facility and the campus, what are you guys doing to engage the Jewish community Jewishly? What are you doing on a meaningful level? And they said to me, like, what do you mean? I said, well, you have a spectacular pool. What are you doing Jewish at the pool? And they said, nothing really. I said, have you ever considered doing Jewish in the pool? And they said, what does that look like? What does that mean? I said, I don't know, um, dive into Shabbat. And they said, what does that look like? I said, families with kids are in the pool and we're singing Shabbat songs, Sabbath songs, and there's challah and there's grape juice and there's fun and joy and blessings. And they said, we never thought about that. I said, well, let's do it. And they said to me, let's, let's do it. I said, yeah, let's do it. They said, but, but you don't want to teach at the JCC. I said, correct. I don't want to teach at the JCC, but I, this is fun. This is engaging. This is what people want. This is where the Jews are. They're sitting in, they're in the pool. I see them. I see hundreds of them in the pool. So I, um, so anyway, they, they hired me on a contractual basis um, to do some of these kinds of programs. And they just worked because my, my approach to Judaism is find the Jews where they are. I know where they're, they're at the pool, they're at coffee shops, they're at restaurants. Um, I did another similar thing, um, flip into Shabbat in our gymnastics center where people are doing gymnastics and then we're also doing Sabbath songs and prayers and blessings and things like that. So my, the JCC ultimately offered me a real position and I said, okay. And I ended up coming to the JCC on a full-time basis, I guess about eight years ago or so, and this is what I do. And they're, they're still finding you. We've got some names you'll recognize who are watching us now and want to say hello to Barry Dreyer, uh, Barry. Ruben Matheus, uh, hey uh, Betsy Marks, Mom, Betsy. Uh, Janie Mack, uh, and some others are tuning in. Guys, if you got some comments or some fun memories with Rabbi Glussman, throw them in the comments and I'll share them uh, with him. Yeah, but Betsy, uh, G-rated comments. Oh <laughs> That's right, Betsy. I have no <laughs> doubt she'll she'll fall in line with how Betsy does. Um, Rabbi, let's let's talk a little bit. I know I personally and and the folks who are, are watching, I have all kind of fond memories of your years uh, on the pulpit at, at Bethel. My kids, as you remember, were were of such a a young age, and and our children are about the same age, and just some great memories, including our trip in 2013 when we all went to Israel and your daughter Rebecca uh, had a, a very uh, meaningful Simcha while we were there and you were so gracious to include my daughters as part of that uh, I think at the Robinson Arch uh, at the wall and that's one of my most favorite memories of, of my lifetime but I want to talk about for people who've never been to Israel it can be a scary thing you see what you read in the, the paper or online in the news is all this sensationalized events, and, and some of which rightfully should, uh, should be uh, shared and, and told what's going on. But I know you've been many, many times, and I want to kind of peel back that stigma, take away the scariness of, of visiting Israel. Our trip, if you recall, we had over 40 uh, individuals on the trip. It was young and old, multi-generation trip, and we had the best time. We were there for two weeks. 
And you guys, you just led us through such a, a, an amazing experience. So I want you to just talk a little bit about what's it like to, to visit Israel these days. I, I have a simple question for you, Bernard. How, how many times on that trip were you scared and afraid? Big fat zero. Right. Um, because you and I both know that there are parts of our respective cities that we wouldn't ever consider going to, um, which are very scary. And what's amazing about Israel is I never, ever feel that in Israel. You know, I feel that I'm amongst brothers and sisters and people that care so deeply about me and that would protect me no matter what. And I feel very secure there because I know that um, the entire country of Israel ha has us in their best interest and, and has put together so many safeguards and security uh, opportunities to make sure that we're all safe and secure. And even, even during these missile attacks, um, the fact is, most people are safe. I was there a few years ago, and I forgot which conflict it was, but we were under attack from one of our many lovely neighbors uh, around Israel, and missiles were being shot and rockets falling daily, and we were just told when we heard the sirens, we were to go to the nearest bomb shelter. And if we were in a hotel, we were to go into the stairwell. And I can tell you what happened during these attacks is we would go into the stairwell when we heard the alarm, and there would be singing, and there would be hugging, and there would be dancing. It was as though we were sort of enwrapped in this blanket of love and protection. Never have I felt so safe, because I felt so loved and protected by my brothers and sisters in Israel. Um, there was one opportunity, and I forgot what community we were in, but we were right near Gaza. And I think we had approximately 45 seconds to get into a shelter when the alarm was sounded. And I, the alarm, I, I happened to have strayed from the group um, because I had gone out. We were bringing supplies to the soldiers who were protecting that area. And I went to the car to pick up a case of water or something. And I was about to pick up that case of water when all of a sudden the sirens went off. And here I was alone, kind of in a very desertish area. And I really didn't know what to do. What I do remember vaguely is that within about four to five seconds, I was picked up by these soldiers, by the, they felt like big, giant, um, muscular, big soldiers, but everyone feels like that next to me. So I, they, um, they picked me up and just carried me into the shelter. And here I was standing, and there were three or four of them just around me. Um, and it, it, it didn't matter what was happening outside. I just, I felt so safe. Um, near them and around them and in that little shelter. So I, it is the safest country in the world. Um, people that go will tell you at any time that they feel safe, that they are safe, nothing happens. There is no drama the way that we read about it in the news or the media, but it's a great place to visit. It, it would be boring just to basically report, hey, nothing happened here today. I know that uh, what you see in the, the news is whatever the most recent conflict is, or the most recent bombings that have occurred. And also know that it's a way of life for children, that, and this is what I want you to talk about also, is in America and, and most other countries, you graduate high school, and then you proceed on to, to college either the, the, that next summer 
uh, in that next fall following, or you take a year off, which is much more common these days to take what I guess is called a gap year. But that's not the way of life for children growing up in, in Israel. That's right. There's that's right. an obligation of service. That's right. But I don't know enough about it to explain it. <laughs> there isn't anything to know except that at 18, upon graduation from high school, boys and girls in Israel are required and expected to join the army and um, do their service. And I can tell you, I think many will agree that it's very healthy, you know, that it creates a, a community of people that care deeply about their country. Um, they're invested in the security of their country. Um, it fosters camaraderie um, and community and, and really creates an environment that feels very different than it does for us here. And these kids, upon serving their country, really graduate from that experience at a very different level than our kids do. They have been in the army. They have served. They, some of them have actually fought. Some of them have been in combat. And to imagine that they are our kids' age and younger is sometimes just a little unbelievable. But it really, you know, that's why Israeli kids and Israeli adults are very different. Sometimes they even come across as being very, very hard, very stiff, um, and sometimes very abrupt. And it's because they they have gone to places and done things beyond what we've done, and they've had to use those skills. They've had to develop thick skin. They've had to serve. I think it'd actually be great for our kids to have to do that here. I, I was just getting ready to say that, and it really brought it home on our trip when we were up in the north near the Lebanon and, and Syria borders, when we were able to visit uh, one of the outposts. Right. And not only were the adults, but the children too, were able to climb through the tanks and see and, and interact with the soldiers. Uh, and it really, when, when some of the, I don't know if they were retired or just out of the military who served as some of our, our guards or security on the trip, when we realized and talked with them, they weren't that much older than, than our children at the time. That's right, that's right. And that actually was a powerful moment when we went to that base and our the kids got to go into the tank, but they were around the soldiers. Remember the pictures with all of the soldiers holding our kids and we were exchanging hats. They wanted our hats, we wanted their hats. It was, I think for my children, for, for Rebecca, for my daughter, it was a very powerful experience. It's one that she remembers um, in oh, vivid yeah. detail. Absolutely, and before I, I let it get away, I want to hear some other names who you'll recognize. Meyer Walnick has joined us, Deborah Goldman, Steve Altman, and my wow. buddy Mitch out in California. So good morning to everybody. I'm talking. That's to exciting. You guys. <laughs> it is exciting. Are there any? Are there any? Are they allowed to ask questions? I'm not sure how this format. Absolutely, works. we've got a comment section. If you guys have got questions or comments you want to ask uh, Rabbi Glessman, just throw them in there, and I'll be able to see them and share them. Uh, with everybody. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about when visiting uh, Israel, and I know you've been many, many uh, times either as part of a, a tour where you're one of the leaders or you've been privately with your family or friends, is how many visitors there are in the country at any given time that you're there. My, my few visits that I've been when you go, for example, on uh, Ben Yehuda Street after Shabbat on Saturday night, 
It's unbelievable the number of people. Or you go to the beach at Tel Aviv. How many people are from all over the world there? Yeah, and, and part of the magic is that for so many religions, Israel plays such a central role. So religious people from all walks of life and denominations, of course, want to go. You know, in the summer especially, you're right, Ben Yehuda Street on a Saturday night when the Sabbath ends and life begins and everything is open and there's live music in the bars and the cafes, you know, it, it's it's tremendous. Um, I've been a few times in November, which it's much calmer, much slower. Uh, the, the weather's a little cooler. Um, and it's a completely different experience. Yeah, but the the vibrancy is pretty amazing. But that's also scary because whenever there is a threat and whenever the media highlights the threats and the attacks, it affects tourism in such a big way. A, a friend of mine was just flying to Israel last week and said his plane was empty. Now, what an empty plane represents is lost hotel rooms, you know, lost meals at restaurants, tour guides that have no work. So one missile, and by the way, our enemies and the terrorists know this, they're, they're greatly aware. It affects tourism in, in the most profound way. Got some comments that have rolled in that I want to share with you. Okay, please uh, filter, filter them, please, Bernard. <laughs> Ruben says that he, he sure does miss you, um, as does Betsy. Let's see. Uh, Barry says. Wait, 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 can you ask Bet Betsy? Can you pick up some peanuts, please? <laughs> Barry says that he remembers your memorable sermons, such as gratefulness. Um, you writing a thank you in the memo section of a check to Power Alabama Power, for example. Um, let's see. I'm not going to mention some of Betsy's comments. Thanks, Barry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, here's a little more serious. Here's a little more serious comment from Betsy that we can bypass it or address it. She says, what about Jewish Trump supporters? Those who support Trump because of his stance on Israel, people who may not have ever even been to Israel. Here's what I will say, Betsy, because this is very complicated and has put me at odds with many of my dearest family members. The Orthodox community in particular supports Trump no matter what. I, I will not get political in this discussion, but I will say that sometimes that particular community might overlook all of the other faults, all of the other issues and problems and illegalities because of the support, the unwavering support for Israel. Um, Nikki Haley was at the JCC two nights ago here in Atlanta speaking. Um, Hillary and Chelsea Clinton were here last night. Um, when Nikki Haley was speaking, she made it very clear that um, when she was serving the UN as ambassador, serving our country's ambassador, that the hatred towards Israel and the bias against Israel was so intense. And she made it her mission to always be supportive of Israel and veto any of these silly decisions against Israel, but she was talking about how important that voice and support of Israel was. So again, not getting political about the issue, Orthodox um, Jews, evangelical Christians who love Israel will support the president um, and the administration no matter what, as long as they are in support of Israel. 
which by the way, strategically, um, the Secretary of State yesterday announced that no longer are the settlements to be called settlements and no longer are they considered illegal by definition of the UN protocol and it, it, because they've been called illegal settlements for the last 40 something years and no longer will the United States um, uh, support that. You can imagine the Orthodox community was very excited to hear this news. No other comment. <laughs> and we will certainly pivot from there. I want to say hey to my friend Jen Hoverstad in North Carolina. Thank you, Jen, for tuning in for a minute or two. Let, let's pivot because we could talk about that particular subject or visiting Israel for hours, but we have a limited period of time. And the next subject could even take even longer, but we'll try to hit some of it before we conclude our, our conversation. And it's, it's really, I guess, as a broad definition or a broad uh, topic, it would be what I have noticed in my world is, is somewhat of a decline of organized religion. And I know that's a topic that's concerned clergy and lay, lay clergy for, for decades. And I don't know how to, how to take a bite at this humongous apple without just picking something and going for it. And from your perspective as being uh, a clergy for a couple of decades now, what, what are you seeing just in general? And we can kind of pare it down a little bit as we go. So that is a, a big topic for me um, because it's, it's the world in which I work actually. Um, I don't believe personally that it's about people feeling disenfranchised. I, I think it's about people doing their religion or embracing their spirituality in a in new ways for me growing up and maybe for you growing up it was about synagogue especially in smaller communities the only way to do judaism was synagogue you know we as rabbis in the old days would gauge our success by how many tachases how many tushis um were filling the pews in a synagogue that that was success how many people are at our friday night service how many people are at our saturday morning service However, I do not believe that the majority of Jews are finding their sense of spiritual fulfillment necessarily in the realm of worship. I think people are doing their religion in very different ways now, which might or might not include worship. It might include building a house for Habitat for Humanity. It might include for doctors working with Doctors Without Borders. It might include for the people that I work with coming to the fitness center at the JCC. That, for that, for them, that is identifiably Jewish because they've made a conscious choice to work out at the JCC and not lifetime fitness. They're here in our building, which means by nature of them being here, they're doing Jewish. So the way in which I approach that is I, for me, it's a great opportunity. So for instance, before the holiday of Rosh Hashanah, when it's accustomed to sound the shofar, the ram's horn, the trumpet, I go to the fitness center here where it's packed and people are on the ellipticals and people are on the treadmills and people are doing weights and people are doing weight machines and the rowing machines. And I stand up in front of the room and I say, ladies and gentlemen, keep doing what you're doing. Stay on that elliptical, go as fast as you can. But it's also the month before the Jewish New Year. 
This is the month that we think about our lives, we think about ourselves, we take a deep look into the crevices of our souls and we ask, am I doing, am I fulfilling my potential? What am I doing to make this world a better place? As we listen to the sound of the shofar, may we be shaken out of our complacency, may we take action now. And I sound the shofar as people are working out. So in the midst of their working out, they've now been infused with a dose of something ritual or spiritual. You know, setting up on our big main street here at the JCC before Shabbat, handing out challah or grape juice, wishing people a Shabbat Shalom. Again, doing Judaism in the pool or on the tennis courts or in the lake. That for me is where it's at now. And um, I do this interesting program in Atlanta. It's called Acoustic Shabbat Cafe. And on Friday evenings, I take a couple of amazing musicians and we go to coffee shops and Jews will come because Jews like coffee and Jews like wine and like to eat a nice uh, dinner. And we do Shabbat there. Um, so again, it's not synagogue worship based, but it's, you know, it's out in the world. And again, they show up in mass. Do you think that there's any parallel with the way society has evolved over the last de few decades about how much more mobile that the world is, you know, everybody has one of these and they just want to be wherever they want to be and then do those things that, that I guess are more convenient to wherever they are at the time. So it's like cherry picking, right? It's cherry picking what it is that I want to do, but okay. Like there's some rabbis who are lamenting where we are Jewishly. I think that we are in the midst of the greatest Jewish Renaissance I've ever seen. You know, when we have last night, I don't know, a thousand, I don't know how many people were here for Chelsea and Hillary. And when we had our challah bake, you know, when we had 900 women at a challah bake two weeks ago, I mean, wow, it's, it's just very powerful. So I just, again, I, I think it's, it's just not conventional. Judaism is being reconstructed in a way that might feel unfamiliar. Again, for those of us that want synagogue, traditional worship, engagement that way, the opportunities are there. But the opportunities are also there in new and unique and unconventional ways. I mean, I'll give you an example. I, as the JCC rabbi, I'm asked frequently to perform at kids' bar and bat mitzvahs, to officiate at kids' bar and bat mitzvahs because their families are not members of a synagogue. And they like to do a destination bar and bat mitzvah whether it be on a cruise, whether it be at the lake, whether it be in the mountains, whether it be at a hotel. And I'm booked through 2022 because again, people are doing Judaism differently now. It just, it's not the same. Doesn't mean it's bad. I just, I see it as opportunities. I also see it as opportunities for synagogues. You know, that we've got to break down the walls and get out of the building and, and do Judaism differently because that's what appeals to people. I wonder if it's a generational thing, and I don't want to uh, get myself in trouble by saying this, but it, we've always done it this way. We're not going to break with tradition, and that seems to be where those types of 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 congregations they lose members. They, they yeah, but you know, I, I hear you. I, I'll always remember. May he rest in peace, Sidney Ziff, um, at Temple Beth El in Birmingham. I don't know. He was nine. 
I, he was always in his 90s. Like, I don't remember him not being in his 90s. But I remember that I was doing something on a Friday night. It was, I think, drum into Shabbat at, at Bethel. And we were doing a drum circle before the Friday night service. And um, this was, at the time, pretty breakthrough. And I, I'll never forget that Sidney Ziff came. And there he was with a drum, drumming into Shabbat. And I thought to myself, you know, this is this is what it's about. That it's not necessarily about age. It, it's about mindset. But I think it's very important for that generation to also buy into it. They have to they have to feel that they're a part of the decision and have to be brought on board in perhaps different ways than we might the younger people. I want to welcome. Let's see, Mari Shevin, Michelle Mark. Brooks. My buddy Steven up in Cleveland. You've got some fans, some folks are here. I love this, this is so much fun. Yeah, we appreciate you guys stopping in. Uh, I, Betsy agrees that affiliation is way down in the Jewish community and- But not bad, but it's, but, but I don't think it's bad, Betsy. I just, I think we're doing it differently. I mean, again, I, I use the JCC, small Jewish communities are in a very different situation. I visit Columbus, Georgia. I know Deborah Goldman might still be watching, but I visit Columbus, Georgia every Shabbat, whether it be on a Friday Eve or Saturday. There is only that the synagogue uh, in, in Columbus, Georgia. But we've had to sort of, we've had to address um, this unaffiliated issue. And we're doing Judaism differently in Columbus, Georgia now. The synagogue that I'm visiting I mean, we really thought the end, I thought I was being hired to be their hospice rabbi, to help the synagogue peacefully go away. But actually the reverse has happened because we've been innovative. We're, we serve dinner every Friday night that we do a service, there is a dinner because you feed them and they will come. So it's, it's quite amazing. So we know that the, the way to a Jewish soul is through their stomach. The dinner is very important. You know, may, maybe it's, so the service is fun and upbeat and guitar oriented, and maybe there's a little Devar Torah, but I think the meal is, again, it's it's about community and it's about breaking bread together. Very important. It is it is very important. And we're getting close to the end of our, our conversation and time just, just flies by, at least for me, listening and interacting with you. But where, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you to pull out your, your crystal ball and where do you where do you see Judaism, Judaism in the South? Where do you see it going in the next 10, 20 years? Do you do you do you see a change? Do you see more of the same? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think the I think synagogues um, will continue to struggle, especially communities um, where there are a number of synagogues. I think those communities, those synagogues will struggle. Um, however, um, I think that people will find alternative ways of doing it, whether it be the old Chavura. Like I remember in Birmingham, Bernard, in your community, I, what, what's the name of your little area? I forgot. In where? where live? Oh, where Forest Park. Forest Park. You guys like got together. You had like a little Chavura. I remember like the sukkah stroll was important, but you would also get together in other ways. I think we will see more of that happening. Jews getting together, whether it be for book club, for cooking, for mahjong. I think that, that we will find alternative ways of doing it that might not look synagogue-ish. Um, I, I see only good things happening. I do not, I do not see 
um, Judaism suffering. Conventional Judaism, maybe. Conservative Judaism, maybe. Um, I think the, the denominations on the left will continue to grow. Um, and I think the denominations on the far right will continue to grow. Um, and that's how I see it happening. Well, that just you mentioned the, the Sukkah stroll, obviously, uh, was a couple of months ago. We had our, I think, 18th or 19th year of doing it. Five different families hosted the, the progressive dinner. And there were probably 60 or 70 people who kind of dipped in and out throughout the three hours that the event went all multi-generations it was so much fun exactly now that little group if that group if there was no synagogue okay there is thank god we have a few choices in birmingham but if not that group would be getting together on a continual basis to do judaism whether it be through hiking whether it be through friday night progressive dinner whatever it is i think that that group would continue to do something um that might look a little different than it does right now, but I, I, I think that the I think the potential is great. I think southern small southern communities I think will be in a bit of trouble because Jews just aren't kids aren't moving back. Yeah. Um, so that's that is definitely a challenge. Betsy suggests reading Boychicks in the Hood uh, for okay. answers to something along this this line. I'll get on that right now, Betsy. <laughs> How? Can By the way, wait, Bernard. Yeah. Oh, I. Oh, I don't have it. Never mind. I was going to show you something, but it's too late. <laughs> Next time. How, Next time. How can, if people are in Atlanta and they want to come to the JCC, the Marcus Jewish Community Center of Atlanta, how can people get in touch with you? Not telling. They get people through, the best way would be send me a message through Facebook and we will certainly figure out a way. would love to give tours of the JCC and welcome all of my friends to Atlanta at any time. Well, Brian, I, I can't thank you enough for your time and your, your expertise and just uh, in your friendship. So Thanks, thank Bernard. You. Love this. Happy to just do it anytime. Time. Well, thank you. Don't don't say that because I may come back to you <laughs> real and, soon. But guys, and again, as, thanks <laughs> thanks to everyone for joining. Good to good to know that all my friends are watching. I love it. Excellent, excellent. Well, guys, as we always try to do every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Pacific, Nomberg Law Live bringing to you interesting people in their areas of expertise. Hope you guys have a great rest of your day and we will catch you another time real soon. Be well. Thanks.